Hey friends, this is Brett from Trogonomics and welcome to Porch Beers. I hope you're having a great day. We've got a fun conversation in front of us uh, and I appreciate you joining in. So when Trog and I were in college, he had a paper that he worked on for his honors thesis as he was preparing to graduate. As you might expect in uh, economics, you can basically study money and the economy and you can study things like healthcare or labor or government, etc. Trog decided to study the NBA draft. So if you think back to the early 80s, the draft changed quite a bit to what's now called the lottery system. And he did a little bit of research to see if the reason they changed, uh, which was his hypothesis, was that there were some teams that might not have been giving it their best effort towards the end of the season in the hopes that they would get a better draft pick. So when we were in college, this was a really fun thing to talk about at the end of the night because he was finding out some really interesting data. And on top of that, this was really early in the internet era. So he did a lot of his research the old school way. Um, it wasn't quite as convenient and easy. So we sit down, we have a beer, we talk about it. Uh, we unpack this uh, research project that he did, which was really the first time he did a significant paper like this. And it was also really well received. It still has life today. Every year around the uh, end of the NBA season, uh, he starts to get more citation hits and uh, the occasional interest in uh, penning a new article or an update to it. So I hope you enjoy it. There's some great info in here and a good conversation. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you next time. All right, Trog, welcome to Porch Beers, my friend. It's good to see you. Good to see you, Brett. It's a pleasure. I've got, uh, I've got, I want to unpack a little story here that we're going to, we're going to talk about and talk about one of your more famous research projects that you've done on today's episode of Porch Beers, something that you did while we were in college, uh, something that I remember personally, and I know you've had a lot of success coming off of this, um, a lot of citations, a lot of references, a lot of people have looked to this research. It's a pretty cool, pretty cool project. So I, I thought maybe we'd dive into that a little bit, learn a little bit about some of the stuff you've worked on in your career, but it's Porch Beers. So let's get started. What are we drinking today? <laughs> Today, I have something from Foothills Brewing in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It's called the Festival Express. It's an India Pale Ale. Uh, nice. They describe it as a, um, a juicy IPA. So, and Foothills is one of the, I guess it's one of the bigger micros in the state. I okay. like a lot of their stuff. But if you, you know, if you go to like the local restaurants, they'll almost always have at least one Foothills thing on tap. So Good representation in the, uh, in the Carolinas. Yep. Nice. I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to keep it local here with uh, Pelican Brewing. This is out of Tillamook, Oregon. Nice. Uh, one of their Marzen style lagers. That I'm, we've talked about this in the past. I'm a little bit of a fan of that uh, German, Belgian, French style of beer. Something a little bit easier summertime. Tillamook uh, is maybe about an hour outside of Portland, best known as the cheese capital of, uh, of Oregon. If you ever hit a grocery store in the Pacific Northwest, the Tillamook brand is super strong, but we, they do a nice beer as well. We just started getting their ice cream here. Nice. And my, my Northwest friends were super excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of heat, a lot of good stuff coming out of Tillamook. So including Pelican Brewing. So 
Respect to them, they do a nice beer in the shadows of the cheese empire and the dairy empire that is Telemo. All right. um, so cheers, cheers to you. Let, let's get down to business. So in college, uh, you did an honors thesis as you were preparing to finish up your time at Baylor University. And uh, tell me a little bit about it. it. It's a cool topic. It's uh, it's a It was really inspiring and interesting to me uh, to watch you work on this. So tell me a little bit about your honors thesis. Give us a little bit of the uh, overview. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, looking back, this is one of the most fun projects that I've ever done and kind of kickstarted the whole the whole career. So it's nice to think that that first time out was so fun. What, what I did for the thesis, we looked at, in economics, what was called tournament theory, which kind of sounds jargony, but it's the idea mm-hmm. of compensating people based on a competition and only okay. the winners get paid. Uh, the idea is that it's supposed to incentivize everyone to put forth a lot of effort, even though you end up kind of only paying the top people. But I was also a sports fan and sports is a great laboratory for a lot of these kinds of concepts. What was super fun about it is I basically got to go research a bunch of historical basketball data from the National Basketball Association. We discovered kind of an inverse tournament and you'll you actually still hear about it from time to time, but back in the early 80s and up until the early 80s, when teams went to go to pick talent from the college ranks for the, the upcoming season, usually what happened is the worst teams got the first pick and then they, they just went in like reverse order depending right. on your record from the previous year. This, this so model of, is used, sorry to interrupt, but this yeah. model is used by some of the other major sporting leagues uh, currently. That's uh, right. The, That's right. I yeah. think the NFL still does it this way. Yeah. So worst team last year gets first pick this year and progressively down the line until the Super Bowl champion gets the last pick. That's right. Draft. That's right. So yeah. the NBA used to do that. Well, if you think about the incentives that creates, if you're not going to make the playoffs, you have no incentive to keep winning games. In fact, you should be tanking basically to get better picks. And again, this, you still hear about this from time to time. I actually just finished the, the last dance documentary and yeah. Michael Jordan's second season, he was injured most of the season. And when he came back, he even talked about how he felt like even the bulls were trying to keep them from getting into the playoffs to get better picks for the next year. And he didn't like that idea. So uh, in the movie, there's a, a moment of conversation where he's only allowed to play a certain amount of minutes. And he was not excited about that concept. And it, if I'm not mistaken, he tried to move those minutes later in the game. So they would be more valuable minutes <laughs> than if they were the first, you know, if it was the first uh, X amount of minutes of the game versus the last X. That's right. That's right. So what we did is uh, I collected a bunch of data on uh, we, we chose three seasons to look at in the NBA. Okay. We used the last year of the of this type of draft that we just talked about where kind of loser gets the best pick. Yep. And then we all looked at the next year, which was the first year they did a draft lottery. And in the lottery, and especially in the first year they did it, every team that did not make the playoffs got an equal shot at the top pick. So okay. um, at that point, we didn't think there'd be any incentive to keep losing, you know, once you were out of the playoffs. And we looked at a third season a few years later where they introduced the modern version of it where they started weighting the probabilities. And so you now, if you watch the draft lottery, I don't, I mean, they used to do a few years ago, there was like a big urn, you know, and they draw these ping pong balls and things. So um, that version of it, if you lose more, you have a higher chance of getting the lot, the higher pick, but it's not guaranteed. There's still Um, some randomness to it. There's still some randomness. So, we thought, okay, you know, before the lottery, there definitely seemed to be an incentive to lose. With the original equally weighted lottery, we didn't see any incentive. We didn't think we'd see any. And then we thought with the weighted lottery, it was kind of up in the air. We just didn't know which one, which version would win out. So I spent 
I think it was the summer after my junior year in the library looking at microfiche USA Today <laughs> uh, NBA uh, box scores and yeah oh boy literally handwriting those down and then I had because I didn't have a laptop at the time I had to come back to campus and then data entry all that back into Oh, into my boy, software. Yeah. But what we found, what was really cool is we, the, our hypotheses were basically held up that we found that once the team was eliminated, eliminated from the playoffs, meaning that there was no way they could make it, they were more likely to lose a game in the old system. In the next year, in the first year of the lottery, there, we didn't see any of that happening. And then in the weighted lottery, we saw that once a team was eliminated from the playoffs, they did have a slightly higher probability of losing a, any given game that came up, but it wasn't as big of an effect as with no lottery at all. Interesting. So your hypothesis was correct, that there was a bit more traditional basketball passion in the experience where it was it, tomorrow doesn't exist. Yesterday didn't exist. It's just about living in that moment uh, towards the end of the season. Even if you're having a rough season, you still you still started to play a little harder once that carrot was taken away from you. Uh, that's interesting. So let me ask you this. You're, you're an economics student. Um, you're doing really well. You're top of the class. I'm assuming that you had a lot of peers that were also working on projects. You know, respectfully, economics can be a little dry at times. Um, it's a lot of data. It's a lot of policy. It's a lot of things that maybe aren't as exciting as the NBA draft. Two, two follow-up questions. First, how, when you pitched this idea amongst your peer group, um, how was it received? And wh what, else was, what else was being studied at that time? Like what, what were some of the other folks doing in, in, um, in comparison? Yeah, I was part of the honors program and we, you had to do a thesis, which is basically a long kind of academic paper. I don't, yeah. honestly don't, and I know, no offense, I'm trying to remember if there were any other econ majors in the program, but you know, these were academic papers. So, you know, we had history students writing about history yeah. stuff and yeah. sociology students writing about sociology theory. When I first started having conversations with Beck Taylor, who was my advisor, I was a religion minor as well. So I think I was trying to find some way to combine those two. And it was probably going to be a very kind of qualitative, you know, kind of theory in the weeds between those two fields. And okay. yeah. He was more of a quantitative guy. And so, you know, we started talking about just general interest and we found out we were both sports fans. And he said, you know, I've, I've been reading in labor economics uh, about these theories. And there had already been a, a little bit of work on this in like golf tournaments and car racing. It turns out the bigger the prizes are, the faster the drivers would drive. So there was a little bit of evidence there. So he yeah. had me look, he had me start reading some of it. And I think it was that kind of, oh, I get to combine not just my academic interest, but even my casual interest and economics kind of something to say about that as well. So that's where we ended up landing on the NBA. Now, when I, when I eventually brought that back to the other students in the honors program, honestly, I think a lot of them were a little jealous. Um, cause, <laughs> yeah. Cause this was something that, you know, we, we get, we'd sit around and watch sports center and we'd get to talk about it. And like I said, you know, you'd hear pundits and sports writers kind of towards the end of the NBA season or other sports leagues, you know, they kind of grumble about their team, you know, not looking like they're giving all the effort. And so it was something that people were familiar with. And so it was kind of fun to be able to, to talk about that with them. Yeah. And it certainly, I think, thrust you into a little bit of an expert in this arena, uh, if I'm not mistaken, not a lot of research out there uh, other than perhaps your point about tournament theory and, and just basic uh, the concept itself, but to actually study the concept of tanking intentionally and proving that it was happening in, in this fashion. So since you've, you've come out with this, you, you had a theory 
Um, you essentially broke down the, the three components of the draft, the traditional style draft, the unweighted, and then the weighted lottery with some pretty, some pretty good data, some pretty interesting data. What, what has happened since then? As I mentioned earlier, this was, it was kind of the beginning to the whole thing. Um, as part, I think before I even left Baylor, we had submitted the paper to an academic conference. Uh, so I actually had my first academic uh, conference presentation as part of this. Dr. Taylor encouraged me. I was enjoying the research. He encouraged me to think about graduate school, which is eventually how I ended up at Duke. Uh, and basically just kind of learned to love the research project um, process. We, we actually published the paper in the Journal of Labor Economics, which was a, a pretty good, you know, field journal for economics. Yep. Um, it got some citations. Uh, it, it was really like one of the, it couldn't have worked out better. And I think it was a good example to me early in my career of when things go well, this can, this can be pretty fun. Um, you know, since then, like I said, for years, Beck and I would get, there, it was always, you know, sort of spring would roll around, the NBA was winding down the regular season and there'd be some bad team that was looking even worse. Um, or, you know, they'd bench a player or somebody would look, get quote unquote injured towards the end of, end of the year. Um, we always had a little bit of popular press requests. Um, they would find our paper and come back and have us talk about it. Uh, a few years ago, I actually got to write a, a blog post, ESPN, uh, one of their sub pages had an economist versus tanking. And so there were a few of us that, it can, that had either written or continued to write in that field. So I got to write about that. Our research has actually been replicated. So other people have come back with newer data, with longer time series. You know, it's one of those things I'm glad to see it. But luckily, the, you know, the same effects have been shown in different, different seasons, different sporting leagues. Um, so it's, it's nice when one of your results holds up to, to peer scrutiny as well. Absolutely. It's certainly held the test of time. To your point, if people are essentially the musical edition of a remix, they're taking your idea, they're doing a deeper dive, they're seeing if they can get a little more. Um, that's pretty cool. Where do you land on the other leagues not taking this same approach? I mean, there's some uniqueness to the NBA in A, how many players there are in the league. There's only, uh, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, 12 players on a team. There's only so many teams versus like the NFL where you have, uh, you know, 55 or 60, somewhere in that range, if I'm not mistaken. In the NBA, you have two rounds of the draft. Again, in the NFL, and my, I'm going off the top here, but I think there's six or perhaps seven rounds. So um, apologies if that's incorrect. There's some uniqueness to the NBA, but there's also some relevance, I would argue, to this model and this concept to other leagues. Why not? I, I think you're right. The, one of the unique things about the NBA is that a single player can make a huge difference. You only play five people at a time on the team. Like mm -hmm. you said, there's only 12 on the entire team. You look at baseball and football and you've got, you know, into the 30s or 50s you know, on the mm -hmm. roster. And in economics terms, you mean know, basically the incentive of that draft pick, the, the value of getting a higher draft pick is just highest in the NBA because one yeah. player can be that impactful. Um, in fact, the, the year before the years that we studied, Patrick Ewing was, I mean, everyone's consensus number one, like all the teams knew exactly who they were playing for or not playing for, yeah. um, you know, at the end of the season, because they, everyone thought if we can get Patrick Ewing, that could be a, a franchise changing move. And I, that just is harder to come by in other sports. That's a, that's a great point. So the year that you did this, perhaps triggered this was the Patrick Ewing year, undeniably was going to be the number one pick coming out of Georgetown. Uh, doesn't happen every year in the NBA. It did happen recently with one of your uh, fellow Duke alum, 
I would argue that when LeBron came out, that was also a time where it was like, it, he's the guy. Right. You know, talk a little bit about what your what what came from the uh, the Patrick Ewing moment that was inspiring or, or trigger some uh, for you in, in relation to this study. I think that's when sort of again people that followed the league like really saw that was a great example of this being a particularly perverse incentive. Was yeah. it, it just anytime there's a there's a just de facto number one franchise center kind of player out there and everyone knows it. Right. And then it just yeah. makes the incentive, it makes it really obvious. And I think if you don't have that, it may not be obvious to the casual fan, like what the difference between moving from the third to the fifth, you know, or sorry, fifth to the third or the third to the second pick, yeah. it, it may get lost in the weeds a little bit, but when there's, when there's a household name that had, you know, been in the, or been in the NCAA finals and, Every, you know, again, everyone knew who this was and knew what the value was. So I think that it just drew that much attention to it. That's awesome. What, when you look back on this particular study that you did, what's maybe the one bullet point that you think about the most or the one moment in time where, you know, there's, there's competitive athletes who will look back on their career and maybe like a, a first win or a first breakthrough, you know, I'm sure in academia, there's, there's moments where you kind of go from, you know, being a great scholar to being popping through a little bit and, and being a little more famous or getting a little bit more like, Oh, what's going on over here? Um, what, what, when you look back on that moment, uh, what do you, what do you often are you drawn to? You know, I have very fond memories of it. Um, as I said, it was, it was one of the smoothest projects we had. We had a clear theory. We had, great data, you know, clear example of, you know, hypothesis we thought would hold. We supported that hypothesis with the data. We didn't have to do a lot of massaging of it. I mean, it kind of came out right in the initial runs. Uh, we were able to, to publish it. Again, I, I know, I mean, I've obviously not every project goes like that, but the benefit of having it go like that was that I knew at an early age that I enjoyed the research. And Nice. If I had thought about graduate school in the past, it was more about like, well, maybe, you know, teaching at the college level would be good. But it was it was learning that I actually enjoyed the research project process and that I enjoyed the data analytic part of it. That's something that's I've been, you know, has kind of stayed with me over the last almost 20 years now. So that's awesome. That's really cool. It's nice to have a win early in your career, particularly when your career isn't laid out for you to your point you know you're still kind of thinking what my what your next step is going to be so to have something really unpacked like that that's awesome so congrats that was a great uh, little walk down memory lane i've peeked into the espn uh, comments section from time to time and and read the article a few times when i want to bring this up with uh, with some friends uh over here in beaverton and it, it always i always uh, you know i remember the the times that you were working on this and i remember watching you know, we were watching three, four games a week at that point when Jordan was, you know, still at the top of his game, but uh, towards the end of his career. And uh, it was it was a fun time and it was some really cool data and research that you were looking at. So awesome to hear the story. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, we'll link everything back on the website so that uh, listeners can take a look at that uh, at that work, too. Great. Thanks, awesome. Brad. Thanks, man. We'll catch you next time on Porch Beers. All right. Hey friends, Brett from Trogonomics, and thank you so much for listening to this episode. We had a great time recording it. I hope you enjoyed it and found it resourceful and useful. 
After listening, please head to the website for all the details and the resources and the information that you just heard in the episode, as well as past episodes and a bit more background on Trog and myself. The website is trogonomics.com, T-R-O-G-O-N as in Nancy, O-M as in Michael, I-C-S dot com, T-R-O-G-O-N-O-M. ICS.com. You can also find us on social media at Trogonomics. Thanks again. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you next time.